your primary way to deal with stress and addiction, you're probably not solving problems in your life and you're actually adding to stress. Someone is consciously trying to use willpower to break a habit. Now that's when we end up going back to it, having to battle with our own mind to try and change something as opposed to using the subconscious mind to our advantage. That's Jeremy Walker. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 37 of The Super Dad Show. Today, we are joined at Super Dad HQ by my good friend, Jeremy Walker. He is a qualified hypnotherapist and Demartini Method expert who has worked tirelessly to support many of our Super Dads online members since it all began back in 2016. Jeremy has helped thousands of people over the years through his private practice on the north side of Brisbane. He has just released a new book sharing his wisdom and experience aptly titled Freedom from Addictions, a hypnotherapist's guide to overcoming addictions and compulsions. So without further ado, welcome Jeremy Walker to the Super Dad Show. Thanks for having me, Jared. Good to see you. <laughs> it's great to be sitting next to you and um, yeah, for us to be able to put something out there that really has the opportunity to impact a lot of people's lives because just because we're dads doesn't mean that we don't have those addictive and compulsive tendencies that can uh, come back to bite us sometimes. So I think it's a really important topic for us to cover today, yeah? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, and I think it can be about cleaning up any messes that have been holding us back. Mm. If there's something that's affecting those relationships and finances, we kind of ask, why is it there? And is there something better we can do to, to satisfy those needs? Beautiful. Well, look, one of the things that you write about in your book, uh, one of the very first things is that you're not here to judge people's addictions and compulsions, that judgment from ourselves and others can often reinforce addictions. Can you talk to us about judgment and its role in reinforcing addictions? Yeah, so guilt and regret are heavy emotions. They're not something that leave us in an empowered state. Um, and also, if we're saying that an addiction is purely bad, and then we look at our lives, we would say it's actually not. If we think about drinking, people might use that to shut off the mind. They might use it to socialize. They might use it to for pleasure or any number of things. We want to have a look at not just is an addiction bad, but also are there some benefits people are getting from it and then some better way to satisfy those needs and wants that, that people really do have. They're not, they're not fictional things. Mm, that's really interesting. And um, I know for myself, I mean, when it comes to alcohol, there's so many benefits to drinking. There's so many things that um, uh, it, it gives me. It takes away some of those um, inhibitions, makes me feel like I'm having a better time out in a social situation. Um, you know, at the, at the end of the day or on the weekend, um, when the wife and I are sharing a wine together, there's that connection that sometimes that, uh, that gives us. Um, but at the same time, though, um, you know, I often think about how I am programming my kids to want to use alcohol as they get older because they see us cracking open a bottle of wine or, um, you know, they see me happier than normal. Um, you know, so yeah, there's definitely negative side effects as a, as a parent in what we're teaching our kids around alcohol. Um, and, uh, and obviously there's negative side effects in terms of waking up with hangovers and things like that as well, isn't there? Yeah, that's it. And that, that was a perfect example, enjoying a wine with my partner. And at the same moment, you're thinking, oh, this might have an effect on the kids. So there's both the pleasure and the pain of, of, of doing any habit or addiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, look, my understanding of hypnotherapy is that it really works to 
connect into someone's subconscious mind and thoughts and works to change those thoughts that have been controlling those uh, those conscious actions in our lives. Um, can you tell us about the difference between the conscious and the subconscious mind and why you are so passionate about working with clients to shift these subconscious thoughts? Yeah, that really, the difference between how the conscious mind works and the subconscious mind work is really um, essentially what underpins the, the work I do with people. If someone is consciously trying to use willpower to break a habit, that's when we end up going back to it. We're having to battle with our own mind to try and change something as opposed to using the subconscious mind to our advantage. Mm. And some of the ways to do that is to um, do it in a way where you don't have to use willpower. So if, for example, someone was trying to change an alcohol habit or a full-blown alcohol addiction, we want to have a look at what are those needs and wants that the person is getting satisfied by that from anywhere from it helps me to lose inhibitions and gain confidence to trying to avoid pain, deal with depression, deal with anxiety. Um, So really dealing with our issues behind the addiction Mm. then satisfies those needs with the subconscious mind. So if we're naturally feeling lighter and feeling happier and relationships are going well, we don't tend to go back to addiction as opposed to when life is going going well. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So can you probably talk to us a little bit about stress and its role in our life in the first place? Because obviously people use addictions to try and escape so often, and yet it doesn't really make things better, does it? But that stress is there for a reason. Why is that? Yeah, that's right. So stress is there to get us to take some sort of action or to find perspective in what's going on in our life. Remember a gentleman I worked with about two years ago um, named Josh, um, a minor fly-in, fly-out worker from the Pilbara region in Western Australia, um, and he'd stated that stress was extremely high. He'd been letting things slide, not taking care of finances, his health, was looking to quit smoking. And I asked him in one question, I said, what would it be like if all those stresses, you'd found solutions for them? What would it be like if everything in your life was complete? And just relief washed over his whole body, even just considering what life would be like if he'd actually dealt with the stresses. Mm. And how addiction plays into that, he'd been smoking whenever he'd been feeling stressed. And the, and what that had caused was not dealing with his problems. So if your primary way to deal with stress is addiction, you're probably not solving problems in your life and you're actually adding to stress Mm. both on the body and by not actually getting anything done. Mm. So, yeah, using addiction as a distraction, okay, temporarily, potentially, but long term, it's always going to add that stress. Mm. Mm. And look, if we go a step further um, and we talk about grief for a moment, I know that you're very raw and honest and share some very vulnerable stories in your book. And one of them that you talk about is a heartbreaking experience of finding your father dead at 16. That must have been so tough. But you also talk about how, like at 16, you know, obviously you've already experimented with some alcohol and, and other drugs at that time. Yes. Um, but you found yourself after the funeral, everyone was drinking and you suddenly had this epiphany that it wasn't going to make anything better for you to do that. Yeah, for some reason at 16, I had in my awareness that when intense feelings came up, that they shouldn't be drowned out or smoked out with, with, with drugs or addictions. I thought, um, this is going to 
um, play into how I deal with stress and, and depression and things like that in the future. Mm. And if the way I deal with that is by drinking or something similar, then I'm really going to end up being dependent on it to change how I feel. And I think that's one of the probably main things I would suggest for anyone is to not let any drug or addiction be used to change how you feel. Mm, mm. Um, then we can get to work on actually dealing with stress and, and deal with being a human being, mm. which I think we all want to be have as a, a part of our lives. So one of the core philosophies that you've shared with me is that um, – on a bad day, we should actually be looking after ourselves better. And yet the opposite is, um, is generally true, isn't it? We are experiencing stress, we're having a bad day, things aren't going right, and all we want to do is go home and have a drink or a smoke or whatever it is. Yeah, um, it's one of my favorite strategies. If I've had a really bad day, I'm like, great, and I'm going to sit down and do some breathing. I'm going to drink a glass of water have even healthier food and I'm going to go for a walk around the block. Mm. That doesn't immediately get rid of all my stress, but I feel way better than if I smash some chocolate or um, or have a drink and that sort of thing. Mm. So yeah, on bad days, why not look after ourselves more? Because that's what the body and mind is really needing. Mm. Yeah. So listeners, if you don't take anything else from this episode but that, just think about how incredible you would feel compared if you did actually treat yourself with kindness on those bad days. Yeah. yeah, like imagine if you're driving down a highway and you're on your way to hell and you're on the highway to hell. Well, if you keep going down that highway, well, that's maybe where you end up. But if you mm. turn around 180 degrees and look after the body in ways that really make a difference, mm. you start going back down or go, heading back away from that place, mm. and potentially to somewhere where you're feeling alive again, having more energy and mm. and dealing with, with what's going on. Yeah. Mm. Now, I fell into um, a habit of dealing with my stress with marijuana in my younger years. And, um, and so for me, I think I still identify as having an addictive tendency towards marijuana for that reason. And it's become part of my identity to, to kind of see that as, as a, as a behavior, which I have a problem with. Can you talk to us more about how our identity, who we are and, and others know us to be, how we know ourselves to be, um, gets created and the power we have to change it. Yeah, in, in the book, I share something called the Walker Addiction Removal Process. And we have a look at, again, what we're getting from an addiction. Again, it can be around stress relief, to get high, any number of things. And we can also be getting, be getting our identity met from an addiction. Like you said, you might know yourself as the person who smokes to have a good time or to relieve stress. And again, going in and having a look at that behavior, I'd suggest that is not who you are at all. I'd say a person is not their addiction. It is a small percentage of our behavior, and, mm. and we're, we're bigger than that. Yeah. We're, it might be something that served a purpose for a while. Mm. Um, in my opinion, I wouldn't make identity, in you know, believe that identity is part of is part of an addiction. It's a, it's a separate thing. It's a part of behavior. And if I think about myself as an addict for a minute, my mind starts to drift to, hmm, what sort of behaviors can I do that match that? Mm. Or if I think of myself as a, with a behavior problem, I can simply change that. I can choose something else. I can choose another identity. I can choose other alternatives. Mm. But if addiction is who I am, I feel like I'm kind of trapped in that when, when, when I think about it. Mm. So yeah, I, I'd really separate the two. Your, your true identity is limitless potential. You can do anything you want. You're not limited. 
um, and choose, choose what behaviors are actually going to make a difference in your life rather than you know, continuing on down that highway to despair and, and yeah, getting the results that aren't working. Mm. Mm. Now, we're on a podcast for parents, and um, one of the things that I certainly know I will eventually need to broach with my kids is, um, you know, talking to them about drugs. Um, at what age and how should we broach the subject of drugs with our kids? Yeah, I think each child is going to be different. Um, in general, a child is going to come become aware of drugs somewhere between 8 and 12 years old. 12 will be the absolute latest they're introduced to the idea of drugs, whether mm. it be by television, definitely, or in the schoolyard. And there's going to be some mention of it. There's going to be some offer of taking drugs or, you know, can you mind this little bag of grass for me? And you know, kids, kids need to be aware ahead of time that you know, w- what's going to happen, the reality of drugs and you know, being able to say no. Um, but also you, you want to be the one who has that first contact Mm. with them around drugs you Mm. don't want it to be a another 10 year old or maybe a 16 year old trying to take advantage of your 10 year old so if you can let them know there's these things in the world called drugs they exist this is a bit of the reasons people do it and and the downsides Um, it's better for them to have awareness rather than not have awareness Mm. and better for it to come from you an adult rather than another child Mm. Mm. So I made a note of this. One of the things that um, that you say around it is that we should aim to give excessive education rather than excessive threats. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I like the simplicity of it because we can truly be very open and honest about drugs and the and the benefits and the detriments and um, you know the side effects and how many people end up. Yeah, drugs um, are bad. Don't. That's all kids hear is this threat of don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But I know myself, you know, I wanted to explore. I wanted to have an understanding of why they were bad for myself. And and I, I hit my rebellious years and, and you know, it, I don't know what my parents could have said except to be truly honest and, and open with me and, and um, you know, really prepare me for for what was going to uh, to come up as temptations in my in my teenage years so yeah i don't think that um uh excessively um chastising someone or you know continuing to say you know don't ever do drugs you know they're bad for you um you know do as i say not as i do type thing um is ever going to work as as well as having a very you know open communication um uh, you know, with our kids, hey. Yeah, it can have the spring back effect too. If you push, 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 drugs are bad, addiction's bad, don't do, don't do, they'll end up being an overexpression. But if you can have that balanced opinion, is that, you no, know, there might be a time when you drink alcohol or experiment with something, mm. be aware that there may be some happiness that comes from it, but then mm. you'll also have a low. You'll have the, the hangover, potential vomiting, more likely to get in a fight, more likely to get in trouble with the police. So even then you'll have both positive and negative effects. Mm. And then the child leaves with a realistic view rather than just hearing something's bad and rebelling and like myself and a lot Mm. of people that have the same experience going and testing for themselves anyway. So why not give them the truth so they don't have to find it out through 10 years of experimenting? Mm. Mm. Now let's talk about food. Um, It's one of the most prevalent addictions that people have in our society as seen by the obesity rates and just walking around our local grocery store and checking out what 
people put into their trolley. Um, something you write about in your book is how so much of this addiction to food is created when we were kids. Can you talk to us more about this? Yeah, well, going back to the beginning, 150 years ago, sugar was a treat. It was for the elites. It was for the wealthy. And if you got hold of sugar as a poor person, you genuinely felt like you were you were somebody or um, you had something that was of a higher status than you. Now, sugar is so common in, in so many foods and so many drinks, it's, mm. it's not actually a reward anymore. Mm-hmm. I know sugar was probably my hardest um, addiction to break, um, took, took quite a while. And the thing that got me out of it was I realized it wasn't a treat anymore. It was giving me low energy. I'd had chronic fatigue, daily anxiety, digestion problems. So I guess really stepping back and asking, what's this doing for me now? Am I keeping this as a treat just because that's what I've always done? Is it it a treat at weddings, Christmas, Easter, birthdays, or is it something we're just doing because we were told to do it Mm, or because because we've been doing it so long? Mm, Yeah. And um, I like how you, um, you talk about the association that we have with treating ourselves with unhealthy foods that comes from our parenting and, you know, if you eat all your vegetables, um, you know, you get dessert. Um, so yeah, why, is, why is healthy food the, the challenging thing? And then for eating healthy food, the reward is the unhealthy food. I think the reward is to be healthy and to feel good. That's, that would be, be my take on it. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. But again, I think a lot of these uh, listeners who are parents are going to be like, it's the only way I can get them to eat their veggies is to actually threaten that they won't get dessert unless they do. That's great. Well, that means your kids own you. (laughs) They They are now bribing you and blackmailing you with sugar to get what they want. So who's in charge? Well, again, we've we've taught them that, uh, and yeah. we've been taught that yeah. through our own parents. So. And, and I remember, and, and clients have got back to me that have changed the food habits in the house, and they've went and bought a whole heap of fruit, all different colours and beautiful fruits, put them in a bowl, put that out on the bench, put the processed sugar in the cupboard, and the kids will go for the fruit nearly every time. Mm-hmm. What is immediately in view and looks beautiful, we'll, we'll go for it. If we can test that out and try it in our own lives, um, why not give it a shot? Uh, it turns up for a lot of people, it actually works quite well. So again, that that is the strategy in our house too. Um, our kids, um, we have the food in front of them. They need to try it. They need to do their best. We explain to them that taste buds um, change with age and that it's really important that they give it a go. Um, if they choose not to eat after that, they need to go and find something else healthy. And generally, that's the fruit in the fridge um, because we don't keep a lot of the unhealthy food in our house. And that's the key to us staying healthy as a family is just not to have those temptations there for all of us. Yeah, and I yeah. think it can be nice too to let the unhealthy food run out. Like if it's just been Easter, or if there's just been a big family event, don't keep topping up the foods that you're actually trying to get out of eating. Mm. Let, let, let it run out and try some other things, try something new and, and see how you go. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And what do you mean by a parent goal? And what are some examples? All oh, right. So a parent goal is something I call a goal that takes care of problems along the way. So if I thought, all right, I want to be wealthy. No, I want to it would start with the negative. So I want to get out of being poor. I don't want to be broke anymore. I'm sick of not having any money. That's not an inspiring goal. Mm-hmm. But a parent goal would take care of money problems along the way. So it might be, I've got a goal to serve 10 million people, make $10 million, 
do what I love and look after myself. Mm. All of a sudden then I'm focused on something that's inspiring rather than just not being poor. Mm. And if I actually achieve that, if I serve 10 million people, Mm. I'm probably going to make $10 million. Mm. So focusing on something of a higher vibration like serving people or some other inspiring goal that matches who you are um, is is more effective than just wishing to not be broke or not be an addict. Mm. And if you were looking to break an addiction, why not focus on, again, living the life you love, exercising, looking after yourself, um, and doing some of those things that are, that are really inspiring. Mm. So focus on being healthy rather than escaping addiction. Yeah, yeah, not, not, we're not just trying to get away from the pain. We want to actually implement the thing that's going to make a difference but is also going to take care of the problem along the mm. way. Yeah. Mm. And you even uh, had something about, um, uh, about I don't want to get divorced being I want to build a greater connection with my partner. I want to do more date nights. I want to have more family outings, um, you know, so those goals which create that uh, um, that better relationship that doesn't end in divorce. Yeah, so the, the goal would be I don't I want to stay married or not get divorced. The parent goal would be I'm setting a goal to treat my partner do more date nights, um, form connections in a way that work for both of us, improve communication. Mm. And then that goal, you know, if it's done well, you know, it will take care of a lot of the issues going on in the marriage most mm. likely. Yep, yep. So, look, what steps can someone take who is feeling guilty, embarrassed, ashamed, or just simply afraid to come clean and talk to those around them about their addiction? Yeah, in the new book, I share the 50 benefits of addiction. And to some, that might seem a little bit strange if we're trying to get free from addiction, listing a whole heap of benefits. But if we understand what we're getting from it, that can actually help to release the guilt because we realize we're actually doing the best we could. Mm. Um, I know when I had a lot of trouble with sugar and I didn't have problems with alcohol and marijuana and ecstasy previously, there was always something I was getting out of it. And with sugar in particular, I was getting. Um, pleasure, stress relief, needed it to give me an energy boost so I could get through work and just enjoyed the taste. Mm. So if I look back to it now, I wouldn't think I was doing anything bad. I was trying to satisfy the, some needs that I had, you know, pleasure and stress relief. Uh, and then the next step is finding ways to get that need satisfied with something better. Mm. So the taste now, I would, I would challenge any chocolate to taste better than a mango. <laughs> to me, in my mind, that one's sorted out. Mm, good one Um, stress relief going for a walk talking to people doing deep breathing meditation yep that's going to give me more stress relief than sugar Mm. and we go on and on with everything that i was anything you're getting from an addiction and if you can satisfy those needs there's no need for guilt anymore Mm. you've taken care of it you've looked after yourself and the alternatives need to be more advantageous than the addiction was Mm. and then then you get that freedom Mm. Mm. So in terms of communicating all of this to our partner, if we've done that work on ourselves to realize why we have that addiction in the first place, and we can talk openly and honestly to them about that and come to them with strategies about how we're going to deal with those stressful situations in a healthier way and that we want their support, um, that's a lot better than I screwed up. I've 
had this secret addiction for this long or or you know I need to give this up um it's been a problem for too long I'm defeated I don't know what to do so we can use your book we can use um you know your strategies to empower us to communicate a lot more effectively with our partner when we do need to address this also yeah and being a little bit brave and sharing what those needs are like hey i've been anxious for the last 20 years i don't know how to deal with it Mm. just sharing something like that if that was the truth for you could be a really powerful thing and then what you find is when you share with people they naturally want to help you it's built within all people we want to look after ourselves and most people want to naturally look after others as well and other people will come on board and, and try and help. Mm. Yeah. So what is the difference between resisting addiction and finally being free from it? Ah, now that resisting addiction is going back to using the conscious mind. So let's say I want to quit smoking, I want to give it away, and I'm going to go cold turkey or I'm going to use patches, something like that. I haven't dealt with any of the reasons that I have it in the first place. So if I just throw them away and then I go to work and everyone's smoking, and then I get home at the end of the day and my partner still smokes or my social group smokes and then I'm stressed mm. and then it's kind of that after dinner and I get that missing kind of feeling. Um, then the subconscious mind is going to want to revert back to where it, where it was before. So again, using that Walker addiction removal process, looking at that first step, what do I get out of the addiction or what's the positive intention behind it? You can start to satisfy those needs along the way. Mm. So when you're in that social situation and everyone else is smoking, you might focus on connection with people, as an example. When you get home at the end of the day and you're really stressed, you might say to your partner, let's go for a walk. When was the last time we actually went and nurtured our body with a walk or being in nature and physically getting into that activity um, and satisfying those needs rather than just, all right, got to resist, got to not use, have a cigarette. Get the mind focused on something that's actually going to make you feel good. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, look, I've got to say... um, I've been very impressed with your book. Um, I've read it to the point where I can have a, an understanding of how much amazing stuff is in there so that I could put together this uh, this podcast for us today. But I'm looking forward to going back and having a much deeper dive into it myself and, um, and really embodying all of this uh, great wisdom and experience that you have gained over your many years as a professional in this field. If someone wants to purchase your book, where do they go for that? And if someone wants to book a one-on-one consultation with you, how can they do that? Yeah, you can search Freedom From Addiction and all the major book retailers online. Um, And if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to inspirehypnotherapy.com. You can have a free 30-minute session, um, find out about how it all works, find out about hypnotherapy and see if we can get you on that healthy path. Fantastic. Jeremy Walker, thank you so much for joining me and our listeners in Superdad HQ today. Thanks for having me and all the best. If you love what you heard and you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdadsonline. If you are a dad and you are not part of our closed Facebook group yet where we continue these deep conversations, go across to Facebook and search for Super Dads Online. You'll hear me on the next episode of the Super Dad Show with our next guest. Thanks for listening.